Spirit of the Wild. That's what it was. The Pathfinder. <laughs> I don't think that's it either. Anyway. <laughs> My favorite Pathfinder uh, adventure path. Breath of the Wild. <laughs> <laughs> Big B's Awakening. <laughs> how, 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 oh, how many different fan bases can I upset in one sentence? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm... Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Big B's Big Awakening, and with me is Tyler Campstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of another book by Watson. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, finally, the blood is ink, not the other way around. <laughs> yes, uh, too much blood. Only ink now. Grog smart. <laughs> <laughs> Grog, you don't, you don't drink the ink. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. <laughs> oh. Cool beard, though. You know, I, I'm just going to accept Tongue it as headcanon. I'm just going to accept <laughs> it as headcanon that ha- that happened on season one of Critical Role. I don't know any better. <laughs> All right, Tyler, what is happening? I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> headcanon, canon, what's the difference? All right, tonight we're going to talk about Bigby presents Glory of the Giants. So this is the latest supplement for D&D from Wizards of the Coast. It's been kind of a storied year. And basically everything after Keys to the Golden Vault got pushed from like nice steady distribution over the course of the year to fall, basically. So here we are. We're recording this on the 15th of August, so this is the pre-release release day. So if you did the digital pre-release, you have it in D&D Beyond. Physical copies will be out in like a week or two or something. But yeah, we have the book in our hands. We've been looking through it. And yeah, we're going to talk about what's inside. It is worth saying, so folks might remember way back in the day, we looked at a couple of the character options in Unearth Arcana, and we made a big, bold prediction and I think it's worth acknowledging how well we did. How well did we do, Tyler? <laughs> well, I I predicted, this was my uh, like long shot prediction, I predicted that they were going to revamp Storm King's Thunder because they were talking a lot about giants and like revamping stuff. I was wrong. We did get giant stuff, but it wasn't Storm King's I mean, Thunder. it's kind of like how Van Richten's guide is like to uh, what it is to Curse of Strahd. You could technically say this is that to Storm King's Thunder. Just I think like, that's a good comparison, yeah. Yeah, just expanding the lore, not necessarily saying this is specifically for Storm King's Thunder, but more like stuff you could use for a giant-focused adventure. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and dig into what's actually in the book. So we, we reviewed Fizban's Treasury of Dragons a while ago, and that's honestly, I think, the best comparison. Like, in terms of connection to an adventure, I think comparing it to Van Richten's absolutely spot on. Um, in terms of style of content, I think Fizban's is a good comparison because it's like it's centered around one major creature type, digs into like, okay, what's lore around these creatures? What are some less known types of these creatures? Like character options, items, uh, stories, adventure hooks, all of these things centered around one specific group of creatures. This time it's about giants. 
and like all of the like 5e supplements there is a kind of narrator character for the book this time it's bigby of uh, bigby's hand fame bigby's hand yeah i'll say so i know bigby's <laughs> hand and then the greetings adventurous folks had a manifestation of bigby and at this point like all of my lore is from Greetings Adventures, not actually any first-party content from TSR or Watsy. <laughs> I say that to say, though, it, it feels like there's something there, because I think Bigby was a big jerk at one point and then became a good character. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Gary Gygax's character, Mordenkainen, put Bigby under a charm spell uh, and basically towed him around until Bigby mended his ways and became a good guy, and then went off to have wacky adventures without Mordenkainen, and at some point got crushed by a boulder. Uh, which is literally like the the interior cover art of the book is like, here's the narrator character, dead. A- and uh, so Mordenkainen, famously high enough level to cast Wish and therefore able to reproduce the spell Raise Dead, didn't, and instead found a local druid and had him reincarnate Bigby, which uh, if you look at the reincarnate spell, you roll as what, you roll to determine what race you come back as. He came back as a gnome, who was previously a human. And, and this was done as like a gag, like, <laughs> got you good? Unclear. Okay. But Morton kind of is kind of a jerk. So yeah, he may have just thought it was funny. Yeah. And so when, when you read the formatter uh, and, and by, and, you know, the formatter, I mean the matter at the four, uh, <laughs> there's a description of Diane Castro, who apparently Big B is like super into, um, really wants to please her as like a demigoddess. And so, yeah, I think it's probably worth talking a little bit about, like, who is Dine Castra? What is her impact on this story? Okay. All right. So, uh, giant culture is very, very patrilinear. So, there are six major types of giants, and, like, those are the main focus of the book. They're all descended from giant deities who are, in turn, descended from the giant over-deity Amon, or Anom? Anom. Anom. Anom? Anom. Anom, Anom, whatever. A-N-N-A-M. That guy. Uh, so this guy has nine kids, uh, one of them one of them with a mortal mother. Diane Castra is his ninth kid. Nine, ten? Unclear. It's ten-ish. He wasn't counting either. <laughs> Look, it is intentionally part of the canon. It's unclear exactly how many there are. But he made his six sons the progenitors of the major giant races, uh, largely snubbed his daughters, um, and Diane Castra is his youngest daughter and a giant goddess of trickery. And, like, the the first bit of text in the book is the story of Diane Castra coming back to her father and showing him, no, 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 like you're overlooking all of the things and you're actually really bad at this for very obvious reasons. And then he, uh, you know, turns around and says, Oh yeah, I kind of am. All right. I'll, I, I will, uh, pay respect to women. Good. Yeah. I'm, okay. I want to get into this. I want to talk a little bit more about the history. Yeah. Uh, and, and the story, because I think it's worth it. I think before we go any deeper, I, I think, there is a um, uh, autonomously drawn elephant in the room that we should talk about. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Okay. Uh, so there was there was a bit of controversy around here. Uh, I'm going to go and lead into it, saying I I actually feel like this was handled pretty well. Uh, and so if you're like getting your pitchfork out and like starting to like put the hay on the end, soak it in a rag, light it up, like uh, put it away. <laughs> but like plenty of time to pull that out later. But I think maybe this one isn't this isn't the time. As I understand the story, uh, as it's been recounted time and time again in the past two weeks, an artist, uh, and, and keep in mind, this book was made a long time ago in the scheme of, you know, 
the Oak Hill to now. Like <laughs> if, if that was the beginning of time and everything else is the the yonder years. Okay. Yeah. So when this book was being put together, an artist did most of the drawing, used AI to finish the art, and a human being look at this would say pretty obviously, knowing what we know now, because AI art has really blown up as a conversation piece for the past six months, do we really want this in our content? And I think most people have come to the idea, no, we probably don't. We want to see artists earn a fair wage, and AI art is likely to dampen that. It's likely to ultimately hurt the opportunity for people to make a living being creative. But yeah, so this person used uh, AIR to finish it. Uh, it made the final print of the book, and people started looking at it and saying, hey, uh, Watsy, what's this? Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, quick conversation, quick investigation, a lot of sluice on the internet, and Watsy came out and said, yes, in fact, we talked to the artist, we found out they did most of the drawing, then they used AI to finish it. And here, here's the positives that I like. In response to this, Watsy put out a policy saying they do not want their creators to use AI. Uh, as part of creating content for them. They said that they're going to keep working with this content creator, but made it very clear to them what the expectation was going forward. And in future reprints of the book, as well as on D&D Beyond, they're going to replace that art with, uh, you know, fully human hand-drawn art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're looking at the book on D&D Beyond, you will not see these pieces of art. They are not there. I have a physical copy right here in my hand that I picked up at Gen Con, uh, which is, yeah, that's when this is all blowing up, basically Saturday of Gen Con. So I'm uh, reading all of these tweets about what's going on while doing Gen Con things. So I'm going to hold this up, which is largely useless for uh, people listening on the podcast. But hey, Ash, Randall, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but just look at that character's head. Do you, do you see the weird horns and how they're kind of just floating there? Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. it makes sense from a distance. Yeah, yeah, but... Like, it, it's these weird small details that you look at. It's like no person would have drawn them. They're like, yeah, that's good enough, and then send it off to Watsi. Like, there, this piece, and there's a second piece by the same artist a few pages later in the book. You look at them, and there's a few things that are very, very clearly not done by a human hand. So, like, yeah, Randall, like you said, we ha as a society have gotten better at identifying AI art just over the past six months because it's been on everyone's minds. So it was easily spotted, but I, I totally agree with you. Like, Watsi responded to this within 24 hours of the controversy coming out. They were very clear, like, we we did not know about this. Uh, we are trying to handle this fairly. And yeah, they, they decided to continue working with the artist because they made the policy change after the artist had submitted all of the work. Like when, when the artist did this, that was totally fine by Watsi. So they're, you know, not applying rules retroactively, which is kind of a mean thing to do. Yeah. You know, it's easy to rag on Watsi lately because they've made a lot of stupid decisions and bad calls, but you know, I'll give them credit for this one. Now, and now that said, uh, Watsi is also kind of late to the party here, specifically the D&D &D team. The Magic the Gathering policy for artists has prohibited AI for several months before this, so it's weird that D&D &D was behind. Other companies prohibited AI from their, their folks a while ago. Paizo was a couple months ago. Chaosium came out, like, basically as soon as, like, AI generative art became a thing earlier this year, Chaosium's like, nope. Never, we are never doing this. And honestly, that kind of surprises me because Chaosium was uh, flirting with the idea of NS NFTs like two years ago. So I'm, I'm uh, glad they're on the right side of things this I, time. I will say NFTs get a terrible rap because everybody thinks of pictures. I <laughs> actually think NFTs in the future could be a huge way to protect artists 
and make sure that artists continue to get paid residuals when their products are sold and resold digitally. But I feel like that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, <laughs> very different. Oh, get off the podcast. <laughs> you say unpopular thing. Hate <laughs> NFT good. Uh-huh. It's not like so- NFT bad. Okay, can we all just hate <laughs> NFT monkeys? What if we do that? <laughs> yeah. Sure. That. Okay. All right. I, I think uh, with that said, it's probably worth pivoting back. Let's talk about lore stuff. All right. Yeah. So, how do you guys feel about a, a several hundred page book? of lore about characters whose primary conflict can be defined as generational daddy issues. Love it. I'm, I'm here for it. I feel like, I feel like that's not unique to giants in D and D. It's really not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like how many monsters have a tragic backstory or where it's like one, one character made a series of mistakes and just passed trauma down for generations throughout the history of the game. Yeah. Like yeah, pretty much every single story ever. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's like told in D and D. Every Zelda game ever, right? It started. <laughs> it started with Skyward Sword, and now we're just mm-hmm. cursed to have this Zelda Link Ganon Ganondorf thing from here to from here to eternity. Heck, we we got we got with Fizzband's uh, mommy issues, so I guess it's only fair <laughs> that we change it to daddy issues now that we're talking about giants. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course the, the the daddy that we're speaking of is Anna Moranum. Uh, I'm. For the purpose of this podcast, on him. Here we go. We're partying. It's on him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on him. Okay. He went out for milk and he never came back. Well, <laughs> so actually like a pretty powerful fella, but I want to, I, I want to read this quote because this quote to me is amazing. So Anam actually helped create the material plane and the four elemental planes. L- let me give you the quote. It boldly claims Anam collected the fragments of the first world, the original world of the material plane created by the primordial dragons Bahamut and Tiamat, and contributed in some way to their transformation into the material plane as it exists today with its myriad of worlds. I, I love that. Contributed in some <laughs> way to their transformation. Like, ah, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yada, 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 the material plane. Here we are. That's, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty on brand for most mythology. Yeah. Like, they're, like, with the creation, like with the creation of the world and Norse mythology, was like they got that frost giant Ymir. Mm-hmm. Somehow he he birthed the gods, and then somehow they formed his his carcass into the world. Um, we don't know how. But, it doesn't matter. It's not important. But I feel like they they could have said something like you know with the might of his fist smashed together the components left over in the primordial to finally uh, manifest the material plane. And we're like, I mean that doesn't make any sense. But like, cool. This whole like just somehow with instrumental transformation, <laughs> it gives me echoes of like somehow Palpatine is back. Yep. <laughs> Look, how do we how do we leave the door open to bring in the progenitors of other major groups of creatures if we get into specifics of how the material plane was created? We have to be vague. That part. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> future books can say, and uh, also the mother of beholders was there. Well, because and... the problem is, is <laughs> the problem that you have to realize is that there's always a new oldest thing in Mm -hmm. Faerun like first it was (laughs) the giants are the oldest thing then -hmm. it was oh no actually dragons are older than the giants and before that I was like oh no actually actually guys the abelis were here before anybody (laughs) (laughs) so at a certain point you just have to you just have to roll with it you know just say unreliable narrator and all your problems are solved (laughs) 
So, yep. so anyway, and in this case, Bigby. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yep. So anyway, on him, uh, I hit on this a little bit earlier. He had 10 ish kids. Six of them were sons. Three of them were daughters. The maybe 10th one was a twin of the sixth son. Maybe. And this is intentionally made vague in the book. Like they say, like conflicting accounts, the, the maybe seventh son was the progenitor of like ogres and Fomorians and some other like off-brand giants, the RC Cola of giants, if you will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go Frickin' burn. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I know, uh, I know at least one person, one of my friends who will is ride or die for RC Cola, who, if he ever listens to this, will absolutely hunt you down and kill you. Oh man. That, Look, <laughs> it could be ride or die for, for Morians. I don't know. That, that line reminds me, I cannot remember what movie it's from, but like the, uh, it's like, you're like the drummer from REO Speedwagon. Nobody even knows who you are. <laughs> Oof. Bravo. <laughs> All right. Uh, and of course, I, I mentioned earlier, like the 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 ordning is very uh, patrilinear. So literally, how cool you are in the ordning is just the oldest the oldest son to the youngest son. And then within, like each of them has their own variety of giants, and they each ha- have their own rule. But according to the ordning, you can take every major variety of giant, like every member of each variety, and line them up in perfectly linear order from coolest giant to least cool giant, perfectly in a single file line. That is the idea of the ordning. There is a best Mm -hmm. giant, there's a worst giant, and everyone has like, take a ticket, get in line, you have a place. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 both like petrolinear, but also I think the book claims that it's a bit of a meritocracy. Depending on your type of giant, yeah. If you have the right blood. Um yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's a meritocracy mm. in big quotation marks. But uh yeah, if you're wondering of the six main giants, the way that the ordinance is is uh if you've read Storm King Sunder, you're probably familiar with it. Storm giants are at the top. And then it's cloud giants, fire giants, frost giants, stone giants with hill giants way at the bottom. <laughs> they actually yeah. just left a blank space there. <laughs> yeah, it's just a blank the, space and then hill giants. <laughs> the dirt, the worms that eat the dirt, the stuff underneath the dirt, hill giants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hill giants are bar- barely conscious food machines that's all they are (laughs) yeah oh man yeah each so i mentioned each uh, variety of giant has their own rules for like their subset of the ordning hill giants it's basically body mass how big are you (laughs) yeah if you're big and if you're big and fat you're doing well for yourself yeah which is why the mouth of um what's i think are we thinking the same thing no no that's 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 uh knoll's the mouth yeah. the Mavi Nogu is is Knowles, but there's a specific thing called the mouth of I forget what their god is called. Gaunt? No, I can't remember. It's basically when a per because hill giants are so stupid. Uh <laughs> when when someone gets food poisoning because they just eat things raw, mm-hmm. you know, they don't really care about what they put in their stomachs. When they get sick and start throwing up, hill giants think it's a curse from their god. <laughs> <laughs> they're like oh god this guy's cursed we you know what we need to do you know you know what we need to do is we need to put him in a cage and beat the crap out of him <laughs> and continue to starve him until he's skinny and insane and then when it be when we want to kill something we just let him loose <laughs> that's the most hill giant thing i've ever heard yep <laughs> <All right>. uh, <laughs> okay <laughs> 
So you talked earlier about Dan Castro. So one of the daughters mm-hmm. and and kind of showed Anam the error of his ways. Uh, yeah. So to, to be clear, though, um, it wasn't like you came along willingly. Uh, she tricked him. Yeah. Uh, so well, he, he challenged her. It's like, I will, I will make you divine. I will give you divinity if you can bring me something such that my own crafting skill can't improve it. Uh, <laughs> she went and she brought him a, a piece, a component of chaos. And each time he tried to craft it into something, he turned the raw potential of the thing into whatever thing he made, which honestly wasn't as attractive as the raw potential. And he's like, ah, you got me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. this isn't as good as the opportunity I was holding 30 minutes ago. So clearly. Uh, mm. <laughs> and, and that is kind of Anam's entire story is just, I had this great opportunity to, to create something amazing. It didn't go right. I'm just going to leave. Yeah, uh, which, which is basically how giants are in today's canon. Uh, just Anom was like, eh, you guys didn't manage to create a perfect giant utopia on your planet, so I'm just going to go find another planet. Good luck. Okay, bye. Yeah, the giant deities kind of suck. Like, like, yeah. uh, with some Who would have thought? Yeah. Mm. Not like not like they're mechanically bad, just like, eh, they're not fantastic people for the most part. Diane Castro seems pretty cool, but all of the art of her is her about to murder another giant in the book, so it's like, ah, uh, maybe make some different choices. But yeah. I think this is I think this is actually the first time in 5e that we've seen deities with multiple domains listed for them. Like historically in 5e, it's been like, no, you are a deity of one domain. You get one. Now, like some some of the options have like two or three. Diane Castro is just trickery. She knows what she's about. But yeah, I thought that was kind of a neat little tidbit that was really easy to miss. Um, let's let's see. It was gr- it was Girl Lanter. <laughs> That was the you cup. got it. <laughs> Mouth of Girl Lantern. Uh. All right. So I noticed something sneaking into the book that I'm going to just touch on super fast. So uh, one of the worst things about 3.5 was late in the edition, a lot of the books started referencing each other because they were building on years and years of material. It's like, oh, I need to reference this spell or this monster or whatever. So it got to the point where unless you had a full collection of the entire edition, you just couldn't use later source books because there were so many holes in the material where it referenced existing books that you might not have that you might not be able to get because they might just be out of print. Good luck. So they have started doing that again. Uh, so there are references yeah. to Monsters of the Multiverse, to the patron rules from Tasha's and from Eberron. So I'm having some like unpleasant flashbacks. Now, it does include like specific text saying like, hey, if you don't have this book, it's cool. It's just like omit these two options from this table, like the patrons thing. It's like you don't need the full patron rules. You can just use these as a storytelling device and you'll be fine. But I really hope it doesn't go any further because if it does late fifth edition source books are going to get really, really unpleasant. Yeah. It's not like uh, pathfinder where they release a new book. They put anything mechanically relevant just for free out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't see Watsy doing that anytime soon. <laughs> what, what I will say though, is my understanding is they, they kind of intended uh, like what, what was the three books that it was Mordekainen's monsters in the multiverse, Tasha's and mm-hmm. Xanathar's right. They intended that to be almost like an extension of the rule set, but now we're also getting like 2024 D&D, and so the fact that you just gave us an extension and we know other one's coming, yeah, it it could potentially put a bad taste. But at least it isn't like super wild, like you said, like, oh, do you have these 10 books that we only printed 10,000 copies of each? No? Well, Mm -hmm. well, half this book's dead to you. (laughs) 
What do you mean you don't have Frostburn, that one book that, that no one bought? Yeah. Well, one thing that was cool to me, and I was actually trying to remember if we had this in Fizzbands. In, in this book, they do give you a bit of a guide of like, hey, you're playing Dragonlance. Here's how you inject giants into Kryn. Here's their role in Forgotten Realms. Here's their role in Greyhawk. Here's their role in Eberron. I thought that was a nice touch of like, hey, if, if you love these worlds, if you love this source book, here's how we see gods manifesting in these environments. Uh, and that's part of the tools that they're trying to give you, not just to build encounters, but actually to build whole adventures or even campaigns built around giants. Yeah. All right. Well, should we talk about some creatures? I love creatures. <laughs> All right. Great Everybody and loves small, a beast here. Mainly great. <laughs> Okay, so one of the teases we got, like the very, very first details we got about this book beyond the name was that there were going to be new dinosaurs in it. So me, character optimizer, the person I know I am, I thought, oh no, we're going to get some new high CR monsters and Polymorph is going to become even more of a problem. Well, there are new monsters. They're not beasts. They're monstrosities. Everybody is safe from the new, like, megasaurus rex or whatever the heck they called it i forgot the name even though the book is right next to me and remind folks at home like why is that not a problem for wild shaper for polymorph uh you can only wild shape into beasts polymorph only lets you turn into beasts now you can still use like shape change or true polymorph to turn into anything but then it's just like i i can turn into a cr20 dragon i don't care about dinosaurs Dude's fair. Care. I mean, I really love dinosaurs, but I kind of take your point. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to be a per permanently? Do you want to be an ancient silver dragon, or do you permanently want to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex with three intelligence? Yeah, I feel like it's got three intelligence. <laughs> or you could be a beholder. You sure could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like ancient silver dragons are 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 two T Rexes as unicorns are to horses. Like if you had one or the other, you probably almost always choose the unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I will say, I don't think shape change gets, gets you an ancient silver dragon because it has to be equal to your level. That's right. I'm forgetting exactly which step it is, but silver dragon is one of the options. All right, so I'm yeah. going to hold up the book again, which is, again, useless for everyone on the audio medium, but here is one of the dinosaurs. I'm going to hold it up to the camera for yeah, Ashen. They don't have any, they don't have any uh, art in the online book for the dinosaurs, so uh -huh. I'm guessing this is the AI stuff? It sure is. That's right. So this yeah, one... Yeah, that looked bad. That looked bad. I don't know which yeah. way those knees were facing. <laughs> so I didn't know one... which, which part was its neck and which was its tail. <laughs> Boy, my uh... video got blurry all of a sudden because I did that. So this time, it wasn't actually the artist's fault, as far as we can tell. According to the artist who submitted this art to Watsi, it looks like someone, someone who has not been identified, fed the art through an AI filter without the artist's knowledge. They didn't see it until the book was printed. So we don't know the full story there, but Watsi has chosen to pull the art of the dinosaurs, which aside from the like weird AI artifacts, still pretty cool looking art. Like there's a there's a uh, pteranodon thing made of lightning. It's pretty dope. That is pretty dope. Yeah, uh, that said, there are a couple of new beasts. Um, I'm already updating our practical guide to wild shapes. So you can turn yourself into a spotted lion and a titano there. I don't know. Titano there <laughs> seems right. Yeah. Uh, uh, hey. Oh, it's a Titanothere. Oh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure that's a real thing, a real thing that happened in the real world, but I... It's not, but it's uh, it's got a similar naming scheme, too. It's, and it looks like that monster. I don't think it was called a Titanothere, but it's something fear, so that's why I know that. Okay. Uh, um, I'm, I'm yeah. accepting it as headcanon. <laughs> mm -hmm. Titanothere. Definitely better than Titano there. It's over that's there. True. 
Uh, uh, I'd rather be over there than over here. So for folks following the one D&D playtest, especially the changes to the druid's wild shape, one of the things Watsi wanted to address was people wild shaping into a form with a massive pool of hit points and then essentially turning themselves into a wall and then like, oh no, I've been knocked out of wild shape. Here's another 100-something hit points. So the Titanothere is now the largest pool of hit points that the druid can wild shape into at 136 hit points, beating out even the mammoth by 10 points. Uh, AC 15, this thing is real durable. So if you are a moon druid... 16. 16, actually. Beating it. 16 AC? Oh, man. I better go update that article again. (laughs) (laughs) Also, uh, CR 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can get it before you can turn into a mammoth. Its attacks aren't, like, super impressive, but if you just need to soak up damage, like, yeah, turn it into a Titanothere, and you're good for a while. Like, yeah, we're a not lot here of for attacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're here for massive wall of hit points. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so how about we jump to character options? Uh, I would love to do that. There's one. Uh, <laughs> no, there, there's there's one subclass, and then there's some some backgrounds of feats. All right, if you saw the giant options on Earth Arcana sometime early last year, I believe there were two subclasses: it was Path of the Giant Barbarian and um, Circle of the Primordial. I think for the Druid, the Druid one didn't make it into the book, but Path of the Giant did, and it's almost word for word identical to the unearthed arcana like the only things i found that they changed were they made it really 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 explicit that yes you are intended to be able to throw monsters 30 feet into the air they didn't do that by accident like they've done every other push effect in the game at this was no no no. we want you to throw things 30 feet into the air watch them plummet to the earth and rush over and hit them we want that for you. Yeah. I want you to have the fall damage. I want you to have advantage on the prone <laughs> creature. I want your party to have advantage on the prone creature. And then yeah. when they stand up, I want you to do it again. <laughs> it's, it's so good. I want you to have all the power. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, like the, this is a really fun subclass. It's got a lot going for it. It, it closes some serious capability gaps for the barbarians. I think people are just going to have a ton of fun with this. It's, it's pretty powerful, but it's not going to like break your game. <laughs> We're working on an optimization handbook for it. Hopefully that will be up very, very soon if it's not already up by the time this episode drops. Okay, so speaking of things that will break your game, why didn't the Circle of the Primordial Druid make the, make the book? What's, what's going on there? It was just really strong. Like uh, having a better beast than the Beastmaster and also having a better class than the Ranger. Like Watsy probably looked at like, ah, Maybe we should stop beating up rangers. Wait, what? Like, we, we can't have nice things because the rangers are over there not doing great for themselves? Maybe what uh, we need is a better ranger. <laughs> they're they're going to get... Uh, we're trying. They're, they're going to get weapon masteries in, in the next version of D&D. Like, just look forward to that. Let us have fun now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I hope they give Circle of Primordial another try because we don't have a pet option for the Druid, which feels like an, a missed opportunity. Yeah. And also, we don't have a dinosaur option for literally anything. And I, everybody loves dinosaurs, man. Absolutely. They're cool. They're like dragons, but real. Old. <laughs> Um, all right, so we're going to touch on the backgrounds super quickly. There are two of them, just like the Dragonlance backgrounds, they give you a feat. So that seems to be a thing that Wizards is sticking to. So I, I expect when we get the 2024 rules, it will just be a standard. 
your background comes with a feat. That'll just be a thing. They didn't keep the fourth level bonus feat that Dragonlance did, but that, like, they may have put that in as a storytelling device specific to the Dragonlance campaign, so not really surprised there. There are a total of nine feats in here. Can I count? Let me double check. I was off by one. There are eight feats. <laughs> so close. Uh, there are eight Oof. feats. There's a rune shaper for spellcasters, strike of the giants, and then uh, strike of the giants enables the six other feats, depending on what you choose with strike of the giants. Basically, it's uh, it adds an on-hit rider effect to your weapon attacks, and then the the follow-up feats give you like some special abilities, and an ability score increase, damage resistance. Like, It's a cool grab bag. Um, they add some really fun tactical options for martial characters that I think people are really going to enjoy. Strike of the Giants isn't amazing on its own because it is balanced to be given to you for free at level 1, and they're comparing it to skilled and tough, which are like useful not amazing. Not going to define your build. Uh, so that's the power level they are shooting for. And honestly, I think they hit it pretty right. Um, we have the optimization handle for this already up. Um, I did a I did a full breakdown just looking at the backgrounds and the feats. And um, with a couple of exceptions, everything here is super well balanced. I think it's. I think people are going to really enjoy these feats. Awesome. All right. So we got a cool source book. Uh, some reasonable character options. All of that content is on rbgbot.net right now. Go take a look. We'll have some links in the show notes to some of that material. But, you know, if you keep cruising the site, you'll find all of it. And, yeah, affiliate links are there as well. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. I feel like that episode was really big. Yeah. Nothing. No, no. it was solid. Right. I liked it. I, <laughs> um, it. It's just my uh, intelligence of three. I'm not really got, comprehending here. I've gotten so used to your dad jokes that they just go right past me now. <laughs> Don't even register. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs>